Hello and welcome back to the Vandaltrong Curious World Podcast. And as most of you know, I was away uh, in uh, Japan for, um, I was away from the States for, for two whole weeks. I uh, went to Japan and then from there I went to the west coast of the United States. I saw um, the Grand Canyon and uh, Hoover Dam and Las Vegas and Phoenix and San Francisco. Um, so it was it was crazy. It was uh, I got to see so many things that I thought I'd probably never see before. You know, when I, I actually never thought I'd see the Grand Canyon. Um, but you know, I'll start with Japan. You know, my, you know, the first time I went to Japan, it was surreal. It was it was a you know I was meeting Kaz's family for the first time. It was just it was very it was just a a, a crazy impact. Uh, of, of of the senses. Second time, it was for uh, you know it was Christmas and New Year's, and um, you know it's also it, it's also you know okay I'm coming back to meet the fa- you know see the family again you know what are the expectations and I, just things that are going through my head had nothing to do with them or or even the environment. And this time around, uh, you know I. It's like you know. Okay, I've been here. You know, I mean, it's still great. I I, I love, I love visiting there. But you know, I, I, I will say that that I guess the magic is gone. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just meant that, you know, I, I wasn't. I didn't see like oh, Japanese people do this and that. I, I was just kind of like okay, well, they're just people. You know, they just live in a different place, and you know, they drink coffee and. They walk to work or, you know, they do what I do. They're just different. Sure, it's a monolithic culture. You're not going to get a lot of variety like you do in, you know, L.A. or New York. But they work hard and they dream and they hope and, you know, they want to be happy just like everybody else. And I think, you know, and then from there, you know, went to the West Coast. But I think, you know, when you travel, when you get out of your little town, or even just reading a book, I think it expands your perception of the world, and it reminds you that there's more to life than your own experience and your own point of view. On the, at the same time, while you're, the, the world is so vast and so different, I know this is going to sound counterintuitive, but while we're so different, there's also there's this through line that we're also kind of very similar, you know. I mean, we all essentially want to be fulfilled and be happy and um, be around people that we love, and that's what I took away from this trip. You know, uh, it reminded me of what's important to me, which is. Not just happiness or, or fulfillment, but the pursuit of it. You know, I mean, I could be happy eating a, a can of Pringles. That that would make me happy. But then it's empty. I think you need to earn it. You know, if, if you, you can take a shower, it's no big deal. But if you take, if you go on a, a five-hour hike and then you take that warm shower, I think that's going to be a pretty good fucking shower. So it's it's the pursuits of our lives, the pursuits of fulfillment that really shape the fulfillment. Um, 
anyway, uh, it's good to be back, and uh, yeah, rock and roll, um, just in time for uh, autumn in New York, which uh, is one of my favorite seasons. Uh, my guest today is David, who is also a world traveler. He's been around um, various parts of the globe, which, you know, he he's... Um, a little apprehensive about you know discussing that. I think maybe it kind of in his mind maybe it paints him as as something else. But he's one of the more articulate uh, people that I've met and very uh, introspective and self-reflecting, and um, it's very admirable. He's very uh, he's a cool dude, and it's a good conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it. So, without further delay, my conversation with David. You're listening to Vandal Tron's Curious World Podcast. Just sit back and relax and enjoy the ride. There's nothing like, I don't watch Sex and the City or anything like that. I'm just, I mean, I don't change my behavior. Why would, why would becoming friends with women require you watching Sex and the City? Because that's all they do. <laughs> um, no, I think that probably has to do with guys being macho and not knowing how to engage in new friendships or not having the interest to engage in new friendships at a certain age. Um, especially if your social life doesn't depend on it. I think your social life becomes less and less important as you get older. That's also part of it. So if you have five good friends... And you have a really busy job, you don't really, you don't need any more friends. Do you think, um, you know, when you were talking about, you know, like how our, our friendships are based on like kind of the, the through line of our of our day, you know, whether you're going to school and then coming home or going to work and coming home. Um, when you were growing up, did were your schools, uh, did you have the busing, or were you kind of more of like a like based on like neighborhood? Um, it was pretty much based on neighborhood, but I actually went to school out of my neighborhood um, throughout all the elementary school. So because I was kind of busted. That of was like a mandate, or no? Just so there's a lottery to get into the elementary schools. I think there's thirteen, twelve or thirteen elementary schools in uh, my city, and the ones near me weren't great. And then the one I got into was pretty far, pretty good, and then we merged with the worst performance school in the city um, and moved to their uh, to their to their school in a different part of the city so what was that like for you? Um, I mean the reason I bring this up because you know I was reading you know about um, I think you and I discussed this a while back about you know like the, the poor door phenomenon and Chelsea and uh, poor door is like this this term that so you have like a high rise building in order for that to get like a, a tax break and to get more air rights to build higher um, these high rises will have affordable housing within the building oh, right, right, right. and yeah. so but they have a separate entrance for those folks so they think that that nickname is the poor door right. and so they have it in Chelsea um, there's one in Hell's Kitchen the one in Chelsea that I'm thinking of is near the Elliott houses like like 10th Avenue and like 23rd it's near like this prestigious uh, private school called the Avenues Um, and that it basically faces the the projects and so you've got these affluent kids going to school 
right, right near the projects, and yeah. none of those kids in the projects can go to that school. So I, I just, I can only imagine like that weird dichotomy that it must be on both sides, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, the reason it's a little different for me is that the vast majority of the kids at my school were living in that community. So it wasn't a bunch of affluent kids living, or going to school rather, across the street from the projects. It was kids mainly living in those housing developments uh, and in the surrounding area with a few other kids from other parts of the city going to that school. So, um, I didn't feel like I was part of a, a, a group that was occupying space that didn't belong to us or anything like that. Um, was there any animosity? Because there was in my area. No, because again, I mean, towards me individually, no, because I was, all my close friends lived in that, uh, that area. But certainly there were times when there were groups that stayed after school, for example, that that didn't live in that area, that weren't as welcomed at the playground when school was over. Um, kind of felt, I think, I would imagine the people who lived there felt like this was their time now and that this was their neighborhood. And But but I, I, guess, I, I guess I was lucky and I, I think the school district um, I went through, did a really good job of promoting diversity and inclusion and not hiding the realities that people lived with outside of school, but not making that a primary focus of how they shaped their relationships either. I mean, our, our group of friends growing up were so unbelievably diverse, you know, there was kids whose parents were college professors and kids who didn't know their parents and I mean racially, economically everything in between um, that wasn't really something we were really aware of or were thinking about all that much until probably high school um, so at least in my experience there was a lot, not a lot of animosity between these different groups of groups of kids but when did you start to open and realize that there was this kind of mm -hmm. Why? Like these differences. I don't think... I think we were aware of it at a relatively early age. I just don't think it mattered till later. I think when we were in high school and certain groups of kids... I mean, I think it was... I think these social circles got divided in a number of different ways between what sports you played, between the kind of classes you're in. So if you're in AP classes and really focused on school, you didn't have as much time to hang out after school, especially if you were playing a sport, for example. So I think um, it was divided across a lot of different lines. Um, and I think... You know... I, my experience was so... I'm really curious about, about your experience because it just sounds like there was a lot more tension at, when you were growing up. I mean, there really... Yeah, well, there maybe, was. Maybe I was oblivious to it, but... The, the, people were certainly aware of everyone else's background um, and certainly made judgments as to how wealthy that person's family was or the implications of the neighborhood they lived in. Um, but my experience and my friend group, I think, was just really unique in that 
it wasn't really shaped by socioeconomic background at all. Um, again, you were aware of where people came from, um, but it didn't really dictate who you were hanging out with in my specific friend group. There certainly was a lot of cafeteria segregation uh, at lunch. Um, but I just was really fortunate, I think, given that I played lacrosse and basketball and, you know, just grew up with a really diverse set of friends that I didn't really have to deal with um, racial or economic tensions or, you know, like class divide in, in our social space. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So, I mean, one of the things that I, I find so admirable about you is your uh, curiosity and your desire uh, for multiculturalism and so I, I did, is that how it started just being around a, like yeah. a, a variety of people yeah I, mean, I I think lovingly I was referred to as a white boy for many many years of my childhood growing up I was always the only white person at the YMCA only white person playing in summer leagues only white person uh, in a lot of the spaces that I occupied and so I grew very comfortable with that. Um, so how did uh, so what was the reverse? What the did reverse. it feel like? So when you got comfortable in those environments, what did it feel like if you were in a room with you know like a bunch of white people who were used to well, being in rooms with bunches a bunch of white people? So it's funny you say that. So so and the the second part of that is what's interesting. So a lot of my friends in high school were still white, but they were other white people who were comfortable being around people of all different backgrounds. Um, going to college, freshman year of college, was in many ways more uncomfortable for me than those first moments in childhood being the only white person in a room. Um, because I was surrounded by all white people from all white towns in, you know, Minnesota or suburban Illinois or Colorado. So that took a lot more getting used to. I mean, like being made fun of for having lots of pairs of sneakers, uh, having a, you know, a buzz cut in a lineup, certainly <laughs> not doing any favors with girls when I got to college. I mean, they're just, as I'm sure you're aware, I mean, so much of our, of our style, of our mannerisms, of the way we carry ourselves, um, is dictated by whatever concept we have in our head of what, what girls are attracted to. Right. Um, I think everything we do right. is just it's, kind of, in some way, shape, or form is, how am I, how is this going to help me get laid? I, to some degree, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, showering and brushing your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I often, I mean, I'll get back to that point, but I often joke about the fact that, I mean, at, at all boys boarding schools and all girls boarding schools, I imagine, like, the, the hygiene <laughs> is vastly different. I mean, I imagine you walk around all girls boarding school and, they're all dressed very well. They're all, you know, girls are still wearing makeup. They're very yeah. aware. You ever go by Simmons? I haven't, but Simmons like is an all-girls school okay. in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but my point was just that I think if I were to go to boarding school, an all-boys boarding school, probably wouldn't shower as often. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would wear sweatpants every day. I mean, it'd just be, it'd be different. But um, and it, what was I talking about? I was talking about uh, you had a lineup. We we're talking about oh, right. what it means to be cool. So, anyways. Yeah, I just, th that transition was in many ways a lot more difficult for me. I mean, what I grew up talking to friends about was largely hip-hop and basketball. And so, as we as, to go back even further to what we were talking about initially, 
the things that we, the ways in which we create bonds with other people is usually over pretty simple common interest at first. You know, oh, you play the same sport, you're interested in the same music, you have the same hobby, whatever. Um, but when you don't have that and you are really just engaging in a lot of surface level conversations, you know, the freshman dorm conversations, mm -hmm. that can be really difficult. So, you know, yeah. people were into hockey and dubstep, and that's just <laughs> a nightmare for me. So, uh, for, yeah, for me, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't uh, grow up with, like, a lot of, you know, a lot of Asians, per se. I grew up with, like, like yourself, like, a very uh, wide spectrum of a diff uh, diverse friends and people just kind of in and out of my life and my family's life. I actually get a little uncomfortable when I'm in a room when it's monolithic, whether it's yeah. all Asian or all white or well, definitely all black. It, it just gets, it just, to me, it's just like, that's, that's not, um, it just seems fake. You know, it just seems like, oh, we're, this is not real when it becomes so singular like that. And I don't know, I just get uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, it's also just not reflective of the country we live in, right? I mean, I think especially growing up in the Boston area, Boston's pretty segregated, but you went to a very diverse high school, so did I. I think we're just used to being in a really uh, uh, being around a very just vibrant collection of people um, from all different parts of the world. It's so good for you. I mean, I really think it's just the best cultural education you can get is just to be from people that represent the world you live in. It just makes you a better citizen of the world, it makes you understand other, it makes you more empathetic, it makes you understand people's problems a lot better I, I just, I don't think I got the best education uh, I, I don't I didn't learn calculus in high school but I think I understand, I understand culture um, and other people's cultures a lot better having gone to the high school I went to Not college? No, not Well, in some ways, yeah, college. I mean, I think it was really, really, really important for me to go to I shouldn't say important to me. I think I, my perspective is about people um, in this country, and especially people of my demographic in this country, white, you know, mid-twenties men, has, has really been shifted based on my experience in, in college, just because the people I met there were so vastly different than the people I had had grown up with and I can and I would see, imagine they kind of projected their own experience oh yeah. onto you yeah I mean I don't think I mean I don't think for any racial group economic class religious group it's good for you to spend all your time with people who look and sound just like you um I mean, there's been studies that have shown that people growing up in mixed-income neighborhoods, for example, their rates of happiness are much higher. Uh, there's much more social mobility. There's much more economic mobility. There's much more educational opportunities. I mean, it's just really good to be um, in a community that isn't entirely homogenous. And I think what I found, and this probably isn't unique to middle to upper class white guys in the Midwest, I think this is probably um, this probably exists in, in, in every 
pocket of the country, but when you exist in a really homogenous community, you don't understand other people's problems as well, so you don't care as much. I mean, people talked about poverty at my college as if it was a problem other people had to deal with. Like, it was really foreign to them, and it just, like... It might might as well be like a disease, like a rare disease. I mean, really, the way they talked about it was like, oh, well, yeah, it sucks, but what are you going to do about it? You know, they... What was, like, the major, like, the big majors? Business. We had a big business school. Um, And, you know, I've been really interested talking to friends from college around this election, although this election has been infuriating and, and in some ways like the least interesting election ever uh, in my mind at least because of a number of reasons but but talking about it's really interesting because this is a group of people who have been lucky enough they've been privileged enough to be apathetic about politics their whole lives um, and they're afforded that apathy because largely who they vote for or who their parents vote for won't interfere with their quality of life because they're so overrepresented uh, in our government. And while the true is probably the same for me, I think I've been lucky enough to be exposed and to be a witness to the, the much more complicated lives uh, that are led by people of other of other uh, racial and economic groups and religious groups. I mean, so how do you how do you implant that into somebody who that's, is not exposed? That's to that? my that's my goal in life is figuring that out because I, I mean I, I truly think that I mean for obvious reasons people are really complicated. They live complicated lives, um, and I think that any time that you are discussing a group of people as one-dimensional, right? So like a lot of times you see, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, feminists who talk about guys as these one-dimensional beings. Um, and there's all, I mean, not just feminists, there's people of all different groups who are, who discuss what they see to be their um, projecting, not maybe not their enemy, but their counterpart in the world they exist in, as one-dimensional beings. And I think that does a disservice to their ultimate goal, which is to be understood as complex individuals, which is what we all are. So, how do you deal with uh, people who try to put you in a box? You know, like if somebody hears you say that, you know, you've been to South Africa or you've been to this other place and maybe somebody has that, that, you know, that voice in their head that has nothing to do with you. It's, ah, fuck him. And then they project that onto you. It doesn't bother me that much. Have you experienced that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um... It, maybe it should. <laughs> it doesn't bother me that much. I, I, there's certain. I mean, we all have our insecurities. We're all self-conscious about things. That there are parts of my identity, or parts. I mean, 
parts of my identity, parts of who I am, that I'm really just very comfortable, very secure with. And if people draw judgments from that, whether they're negative or positive, I can't really allow that to affect how I live my life. Um, you know, I don't, I certainly don't think that that that's a, a, a foolproof way to, to live your life. I mean, I think that if people you love and people whose opinion you really care about are telling you, David, you know, you're a real dickhead, <laughs> that's something you have to listen to. Um, at least hear them out. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think that if people are making judgments based on the lim very limited information they have about me, yeah, I, can't, I can't let that affect me. Yeah, so what does bother you? I don't know. That's a that's a that's a tough question to answer. A, a lot bothers me. I'm not yeah. someone. I'll say like, for me, like on a like on an interpersonal level, when somebody just defaults to negative, you know, and it's very clear to me that the thing that they're complaining about has nothing. It's it's not it. That just that's just a target, and they just kind of like. This is energy, you know, it's just like, you're just like shooting away at something that's, and you're just negative and you want an audience. And I find that like really unappealing, um, male oh, yeah. or female, older, younger. Oh yeah. And it's just, but it's a trait that I think a lot of people have. Even people, I think you just kind of get in these ruts and you just, like you see life in a certain perspective and then you just kind of go down that rabbit hole and then it starts to permeate in the way you talk to people, the way you act. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, so how do you respond to that when that happens? I shut them down. No, okay, so in the past I used to, I used to kind of engage because I used to think it was like my, you can like get some more water if you like turn the in there. I used to think that it was like, yeah, just put the class in there. Oh. I used to think that it was like some sort of like obligation on my end to like let show them the light, but now it's just like, all right, well, I'm done. Like I am truly like I don't I don't they like, are in a room. I don't want over. I don't really need to talk to you. Well, th this seems like something that you you. That has become a little bit of a theme, and yeah, I don't know why. I always want to talk about this with no, you. No, no, I don't I have no really idea why. I find it really interesting, but it seems that you, at some point in your life, came to a conclusion that you were not responsible for other people. I've actually said that. I know, yeah. but I find, but I find that really interesting, and I, and I don't think there's like a right or wrong. I think that's like a personal preference. I think some people gain comfort, whether it's altruistic or not, whether it's totally self-serving or not. Uh, gain comfort in taking responsibility over other people's problems. And other people, for a number of reasons, may feel like, you know what, that's... One, maybe they may think that person's not my, responsible, not my responsibility, fuck them, but they may also just feel like, if I take on their problems, I'm doing a disservice to that person. Um, yeah, I kind of... And, and, and there's, a, there's a number of other interpretations of that as well. I just... Those are the two that seem most common and, and how I've seen myself and other people deal with the issues their friends or people they know are going through. I also, like, for me, it's, like, a matter of ego. 
you know, if you kind of circle back, you just kind of, like, for me, I realized that, like, well, why do I need to fix this? Why do I need to help this person? And what is... That sounds very egotistical. I mean, maybe I just let this person live their life. as you know, their lessons that they're going to learn have nothing to do with me. I don't know anything about their pathology. Maybe they're on the course of happiness that's going to suit them. It has nothing to do with me. Yeah. I also... Going back to my earlier point, feel like I and I would imagine you feel similarly. If you did something real scummy, and let's say you're dating someone, or let's say you have a good friend who's just a real yes person, and isn't gonna be that person to tell you what you did was awful or what you did was really unkind, wouldn't you want a friend or someone you care about to say to say to you, you know, man? You may be going through something, you may whatever, but I, I really think that you owe this person an apology. Or I think that you've started to become someone that I don't recognize and someone that I don't really like anymore because of these be behaviors. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, all right. Well, let, let's go down. Let's use this thread. Okay. You, then but, but, but what's your, I mean, what's your I used to be that person. You used to be. I used to do, have that same, I used to have those conversations. I used to feel like, yeah. You're open to other people telling you. I used to be, have like, I guess, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like an assessment of like, hey, this is what I've kind of seen that you're, I'm observing what you're doing right. and maybe you're kind of doing self-harm. And that is never taken well. And I think because we're all in different places in our lives. Oh, you're saying you used to tell other people that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not, not line them up every no, day. No, no, no. But, but, but my question was like, had, are you open to being on the receiving end of that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, I am. Do you encourage it? Mm. Maybe not encourage, but do you really, I mean, do you, would you hope that a friend would tell you if you were being an asshole? Yeah. So I feel like if you would hope that a friend would tell you that you should, in but some circumstances, assume that other people would. No, because that's. But how are they supposed to know that you're hoping for that? Because we're, like you said, like we're all different people. So that's that's that works for me. So I, you know, some people like ice cream after dinner. Some people find that completely ridiculous. So that works for me, but I couldn't I couldn't uh, I couldn't transpose that onto somebody else because they could they could just uh, in their mind nobody. Typically, nobody does things deliberately because they they have no control and just you know they want to be corrected. Most times, people think they're just in what they're doing. So, let's say that 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 conversation that you posed happened. You know that typically what follows up with that is is emotion, is ego. It's like I'm right. I don't know what you're talking about. And then, do you want to be prepared for that? And for me, I, I don't, I don't. I'd rather. Well, if that's the reaction that tells you everything you need to know. About what? About them and whether they, I mean, if they're not going to be receptive to it, then yeah, it isn't your responsibility anymore. I don't think anybody. I think most people aren't. Right. I think it depends on the relationship. I have friends where my reaction would certainly be no you're wrong whatever but I also have friends where I would be really really concerned and really receptive and 
thoughtful about whatever their assessment happened to be. I mean, if they were saying, you know, whether it's David, you're... It could be something as simple as, David, you're really not doing your fair share in terms of cleaning up the apartment, mm -hmm. or which is simple but can lead to huge <laughs> fights. Or, 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 you're, or I think you're kind of a dick. Or you're but if they were minded. To, sure, but if they were to say, I think you're kind of a dick, that's not constructive at all. Right? Well, obviously they would. No, no, I know, I know. But You're a dick and here's three, re here's three examples. Yeah. Then, yeah, there's certain friends where I'd have to be like, okay, I have to really evaluate the merit of what they're saying here. There's other friends where I'd say, fuck <laughs> off, essentially. Here's but, but that's based on who they are. Right? Sure, if yeah, there's a friend course. who I perceive as a dick for lack of a better term who's telling me that I've been a dick then <laughs> what about Moscow Mule Dude? Moscow Mule Dude I don't remember Moscow Mule Dude uh, you know he's like I, I want this in the, in the oh, oh yeah yeah what if he uh, gave you like a critical assessment depends what it was about right. He he does give me critical assessments but it's not about um it's never me being, it's never that. It's never me being like inconsiderate or being a dick. It's, I don't know, th things that he does well. So I, that feedback, I I appreciate. Even if the delivery, I don't, I don't know, is appreciate. I appreciate the message. So what are some things that, that people don't really know about you? Like for me, for instance. Like you, like I said, you're, I, I think you're very, I think, I would imagine you're very charismatic. Most people like you. When they meet you, they like you, right? Um, and then, like, I think I know and you And then it all comes yeah, But I, I think I know you pretty well, but then you tell me these certain things that I'm like, oh, that, I didn't know that. Well, what's an example? I mean, I don't know. Well, what... like, you, like we, were, we, the, we did that one project, and you said, I don't really like public speaking. Right. I was like, wow, that's, that's unusual, because you're so good at it. And I thought... Well, it's very nice of you, but yeah, I don't... I don't enjoy public speaking I think I uh, my anxiety around it has gotten I, I'm less anxious about it than I used to be so when you're in a which group is normal like a group of people but, and you have to address them or some sort of lesson that anxiety's there yeah but it depends about the group I mean I think when I'm in teacher mode or whatever it is I feel a lot more comfortable because my right to speak, right, is kind of been like set in stone. Like that's my that's my role. My role is to speak there, um, and you don't really have to like vie for their attention. I mean, in the, especially where we were working, it wasn't like uh, you know if, if they if they weren't paying attention, I could kick them out of the class. You know, it's like a really different dynamic than let's say being a stand-up comedian or being one of 20 people to speak at an event or whatever it is where people don't need to pay attention. That's, I mean, that for obvious reasons can be anxiety provoking, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not something I hate to the extent that like I, I avoid any, any opportunity to engage in public speaking. I just, I don't enjoy it. I mean, I, no, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, my brother is a is is a great artist. You know, when I I used to, you know, collect comic books growing up, and he used to walk, like look at a cover and just I don't know, just out of boredom, he was just kind of draw it. And he was, it was incredible. Yeah. He's like it was just like from the comic, he was, 
he, he found it insufferable. He just didn't want to do it. Wow. And just it just so that indicated to me, just because you're good at something, doesn't necessarily mean that that's something you should pursue. Yeah, I mean, I also, don't, I mean, I, I, I think you're being very generous <laughs> in uh, in your assessment of my public speaking, but. Um, no, I just meant in general. I didn't yeah, mean yeah, yeah. Specifically. Um, but I'm trying now. I'm trying to think if there's any, any fun facts about myself that may surprise you. Um, I'll have to think. I can't think of any off the top of my head. What? What? I'm, I'm sure you have plenty. What's something that I'd be surprised to know? About me? Yeah. Um. Hmm. I'm trying to look around your apartment and see if there's any <laughs> collectibles that. Uh, I don't know. I guess like I'm a real nerd. I grew up as like a like a chubby fat nerd, and I guess that kind of informs me on some sort of cerebral or emotional level even to this day. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it informs your vendetta against all bullies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which is good. That's good. That's, you're doing God's work. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I used to have this this theory of like, you know, what happens to the, you know, what happens to bullies? Because, you know, throughout my adult life, I've never, I, I, in fact, the opposite. So you know, you meet people in college or whatever, and like, yeah, I was, you know, you 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 typically meet people who have been bullied to some degree. You never meet anybody who was the bully. Um. But then I had I had actually had two people, two different people on the show who admitted that at some point in their life they were a bully. And it was interesting for me, you know, being a victim of, of, of bullies is, had nothing to do with the kids that they bullied. It was just, you know, they were just kind of going through something. And then I kind of see in hindsight of, you know, my life or the stories that I've heard. That seemed, I mean, it's, I think that's kind of a reflection of the way we behave. Right. Oh yeah. And is, you know, if I took like this glass of water and just threw it at you, I mean, you've done, you haven't done anything to to warrant that. Yeah. But obviously, there's something that's going on in me to right. do that, and I think that's very indicative of, of the way we live. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you from personal experiences, I was never, a bully in the sense of you know, shoving nerds in lockers or whatever it was. You know, like you see in eighties. Uh, 80s teen movies but I could certainly be a jerk to my friends um, and yeah it never had to do with them <laughs> I was in high school you know you're but you're kind of, but it's established that you're friends right it's yeah. not like this hierarchy of I'm I'm your I'm the author of your pain and I'm gonna torture you it was never and it was never really physical it was making fun of them it was whatever it was but I I could be a dick. They're in on the joke, or no? I could be a dick. Um, and I think in my mind I rationalized it by, you know, this isn't malicious, we all make fun of each other, and we did to an extent. Um, but there are also certainly times when I was doing it not from a place of love and humor, but to establish some sort of dominance. And again, it had nothing to do with the person. It was because I was, whatever, 15 or 16 and and probably an insecure mess and, you know, you just went through high school. 
Um, Were you a bully as an athlete? No. Far from it. I was never good enough to be a bully as an athlete. You would play head games? I mean, I, you mean against opposing? Yeah, that's what no, I meant. No. Um, in basketball, it would have been a joke because I was coming off the bench, so I don't think anyone would <laughs> Once I tear off these warm-ups, I'm yeah. going <laughs> uh, And then in lacrosse, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a super confrontational person. I know there's a lot of people who are really good at... I mean, I, I have lots of friends who aren't confrontational at all, but the second they step on basketball court or a soccer field or a football field, whatever it is, they're just a different animal. Um, that wasn't really the case for me. Uh, I don't think things... I, I, when things are really competitive, I can get like that, but we were like the worst team in the state in lacrosse, and I was coming off the bench in basketball, so there weren't a lot of moments of like heated battle. Uh, were you having fun? I was having fun, yeah. Was everybody else? Yeah, our lacrosse, yeah, our lacrosse team was, yeah, worst or second to last place team in the state. Um, and it was, you know, I think you need, what is it, you need uh, 10 players on the field at all times. And I think we had like 11 players on our roster, 12 players on our roster. And we were all best friends. Um, so we had a blast, but... We didn't take the games all that seriously. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think about when I play pickup basketball now, if the game's close, and especially if I'm feeling like I have a leadership role on the team, I can get pretty heated with other players. Strangers, right? Oh, yeah. There's some shoving and some trash talking, but I'm, I never initiated. Are you doing the... Uh, the the, uh, the, the N1, the... Uh... The N one T shirts. Oh no no no! I'm no. looking for those on eBay. On eBay. The, uh, What's the one? The, I'm, I, oh, I'm, uh, I'm, you know what I'm looking for? Place for you to hide. <laughs> you, you bring your knapsack because you're about to get schooled. They had all of those. Yeah. It was, it was funny. Cool. I used to see like little kids wear them. Yeah, was, my dad had a few. Of those. <laughs> and he had one that said, "Did you bring your sunscreen? Because you're about to get burned." Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully we can bring those back into style. I was a big fan of this. Did your dad wear a headband when he played? No. No. Thank God. Did he wear chucks? No. So he... He he, he, he played. He's good. He still plays. He's your height? Yeah. Although old age has probably brought him down half an inch. I thought that was a myth. That's true? You just... After a while, your shoulders just slouch so much. If you don't have good posture, it just brings you down a little. You know, you're just not as mobile. You're not as like, you're not going like this. You know, your wingspan doesn't mean as much. You're, you're not jumping as high. You know, my uh, high school basketball team was a was a joke. They won like two games. Oh, I know. <laughs> huh? I know. Oh yeah, yeah, of course you know. Yeah, but we they so. I would look peer into their practice, and the coach made them run with bricks in their head. Did you guys ever do that? No, but I. I don't know if that was just a fun way of torturing them or if there was a purpose behind that, but we did all sorts of stuff like that that didn't really make sense, but I'm sure helped us somehow. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I, I haven't heard of that, though. That's good. I mean, we, we did have to do hands up as high as you could put them. That right, that's what I figured. Yeah. Like, I was building the, the side string. Yeah. Um, if you could go into a time machine, yeah. let's say 10 years ago, what would you tell yourself? 
Um, okay, not ten years ago. No, how no, about, no, how no, about no. I can answer? Okay. I can answer the question. It's a, it's a big question, though. You got to give me a second. Um, no, I think it's tough to you know going back to friendship. It's tough to talk about regrets in your life, knowing that so many of those decisions shaped where you are today and the relationships you've had and if you really care about those relationships and a lot of the experiences that followed it's tough to really regret those initial decisions you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I don't think that going to the college I went to I don't think I certainly don't think it was the best fit for me but I now I have all these friends I'm going to be friends with the rest of my life right. so it's tough to feel like that's a major regret um, having said that I probably would have found great friends wherever I went you know and that's that brings up the whole thing of like how arbitrary are your friends are you know it's like does it really matter are there you know a million people that you'd be really close with if you shared the same space as like I don't think it necessarily matters I, mean, I, I, I think I think friendships are more or less arbitrary based on your environment yeah. and that's not a bad thing yeah no I, I think that's just something you should, just, you should every, just hold on to and everything is right I mean everything to some degree is arbitrary because it has to do with where we were born, the day we were born, what family we were born into, all that stuff. So, who knows how much that matters. Um, But I guess the main thing I would tell myself is that it's cool to try hard. (laughs) What do you mean? There was a really common sentiment in my high school and among my friends that the coolest way to go about school is to not try and still get good grades. If you could like really do nothing and still get pretty good grades, that was like, you were the man. It's just really stupid. <laughs> and I think that I didn't develop a good work ethic till much later in my life. And more importantly, aside from the work ethic, I just didn't really start loving learning till much later in my life. Um, when you treat all of your classes as means to an end just oh how do I do nothing and get a A or B in this class you don't really value learning you don't value knowledge um, and you don't really develop an intellectual curiosity I mean there needs to be something to spark an intellectual curiosity Um, and I think that that came at different times in my life whether it was a class in high school that made me really think differently about the world um, or a sociology class in college whatever it was or um but I think I could have gotten to that point much earlier, and particularly around reading. I mean, I hated reading for a long time, and it's so crazy to think about because I love reading and read all the time now. But for, you know, my parents used to have to turn off the TV and, you know, set time limits for how much TV I was watching a day and make me read a certain number of books a, a month or whatever it was just to get me to read. Um, and I hate that. I mean, I just feel like I missed out on. What was the first book that you read on your own? Oh, I'm. I couldn't. I can't remember. I mean, was I, it? I was re- I mean, I was reading still. I just didn't really love it until later in my life. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily because where I was at in my life. I think that if I had been exposed to the right books and the right kind of ideas, or really had an understanding of of how meaningful books can be in your life. Um, in your life than I I think I just would have been a 
my critical thinking skills would have, would have been much better at a much earlier age instead of just kind of floating through life um, which I feel like I was doing for a long time I had fun it's not like I had like a it's not like I was sitting on a couch for eight years straight but why you say by the bell yeah but no, I had a lot of fun but I think I just prioritized my social life a little too high um, and because of that I didn't really have much of a intellectual life much of a interest in things greater than myself which is not a good way to live that's another surprise you strike me as somebody that's high I would classify you as an intellectual so um, this is I'm, actually surprising no, I'm, a, I'm a total pseudo intellectual I, <laughs> I read a lot you of headlines sound that's all yeah um if somebody was in a rut, right, regardless of who they are, whether they're a teenager or, you know, a middle-aged person, somebody in the Midwest, somebody in a major city, they're just in a rut. What, what would you say to that person? I could do the, you know, I mean, there's the, there's the hokey one, not, not necessarily hokey, but there's the things that you can say that, Cannot, you know, the, the, they're cliche and they're used all the time, but I think that simple things like this too shall pass, right? I mean, that's, that's often applied to really, really minor crises in people's lives. It's like, you know, there's a long line at the grocery store and you kind of tell yourself this too shall pass or whatever it is. But it's also just really important to internalize that concept that life goes on, you know, that, that these experiences as tough as they are going to be you'll be able to look at in retrospect one day right. um, and that's really important to, to know not just to like be aware but to really internalize and believe wholeheartedly um, I also think if someone's in a rut I mean you can give that kind of generic advice but they may be in a rut that that they need advice on how to get out of it I mean I think it's important to know what that rut is and Maybe you can provide some specific advice as to how to cope with it, and if there's an actual solution, give them some some of your wisdom on how you deal with the situation. I mean, where we were working, I, I, I've, there was countless times when, unfortunately, given the predicament the student was in, you couldn't really offer them a solution. You could only offer them a way to cope with it. Right. Um, and I think that's probably the toughest thing to do is when someone's in a rut that there is not a immediate solution for it or any solution for it for that matter um, helping them figure out how they're going to continue to live their lives and find happiness and find fulfillment and deal with that situation and I think the thing you know the thing that I've been kind of uh, um, you know Debating and, and discovering lately is you know this 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 push and pull of ego and empathy. I think I think ego is just providing like here's the solution to your problems and empathy is listening and yeah. and kind of having a dialogue of of managing whatever it is you're going through because there is no I think that's how people uh, get frustrated and angry and act out or do things that are not healthy either to themselves or to other people because they just want that solution and they don't see it and so you know it, and that kind of manifests in their interpersonal communication with their friends their family or maybe at the line of the grocery store 
So one question that I ask all my guests, and, and this is the this, the, is, your, the, this is your James Lipton yeah, speed yeah, round yeah. at the end. <clears throat> so right now on this day in your life, okay, what is happiness to you? Great question. Uh, meaning, where am I going to find happiness today, or where am I in my life? Where do I find happiness? How do you def- like what? What's it could be anything. I want to yeah. keep it open ended for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, the 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 gist is. You know, how are you defining it right now? Um, I think happiness right now is feeling like I'm building towards my towards a future that. Tough question. <laughs> no, I mean I think it's when I'm when I'm feeling truly productive, and not productive like oh I cleaned my apartment, but productive like I found out something about myself, or I I I found a way, or I found a a, a means to becoming a better version of myself. I mean I think that's there's nothing really more in inspiring or encouraging to continue to work hard and to find to seek out new experiences and new relationships in life when you really feel inspired about the life that you can ultimately live and you know if you feel like you're becoming a better version of yourself which includes you know feeling like you can have a greater impact or help more people or be a better friend or be a better roommate or be a better son or brother or whatever it is just feeling like you're on track to being a better version of yourself. I think given my age, that's what I've been focused on a lot recently and feeling like I'm making progress in that area is about as close to happiness as I can get at, at, at this time in my life. Yeah. Fulfillment. Yeah, fulfillment. Yeah. Awesome. And, I, and I think it's a lot to ask for, to ask for fulfillment in your job at a young age. I mean, you, it's, you hope for it, but I think what's more important is that you're setting yourself up for a life of purpose or fulfillment or something that you feel really good about. Awesome. David, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Uh, listeners, uh, as I always say every week, uh, you're part of this conversation too. You're just on the quiet side. So thanks for listening. Uh, Bodhisattva, go out and do good in the world. Thanks. Say a little about my yo. I was born in a season where the world was quiet and cold. Celebrations were going on. Some were happy, some were sad. Some felt bad from being good. Some felt good from being bad. The feelings passed and changed, but they never leave. They here to stay. Holiday, holiday, happy birthday. Teenage love, the first cup run deep. So long, flesh. This is the Brooklyn Streets. Year of the Ox, seven and three, MG. The history. Come on. Every soul got one to dig yes. Swear you been and where you be And without understanding you cannot proceed complete The start and the end Then it just go round again
again, again and again, brand new, again and again, so fresh, again and again, clueless, I was born in a decade, decade and sweating, worship what they have, sport was president, do the math, what was ended when the North Vietnamese stormed the city of Saigon, we was like, bye, we was gone, let bygones be bygones, I'm gone, spread love, it's the Brooklyn way, where they hug you with the firearm, tied on, like new school clothes, black star fishing, smash when we do shows, facts, no mystery, I'm down with the crew like Mussolini in Italy, I rock with the roots like the imagery, powerful, bigotry at work, me and my people got history, these rappers dumb it down considerably, we get it poppin' like a hit chorus, the flow is historic, they can't get rid of us, you pick with us, and we lay the law like a Viticus, ten years ago we made history so they miss us, and don't call it a comeback in particular, even if it blend into ephemera, I fade into peripheral transmission of the ministers original, when broadcast clear without the miniature, black star, so top burning soul temperatures and ministers, alkalines aminos and minerals essentials, served over dilatine signatures, it's miracle material, remembrance right now, foreverness.